Amen. Hey, thanks, Sam. What up? Hey, I don't sound like a cartoon character or a Batman villain. You only get that if you were here last week. Sorry. The voice is back, and so comes the yelling. Hey, if we haven't met, uh, my name is Brandon. I'm college director here on staff, and super excited that you're here for uh, our What is God-like series. But before we get there, you may have noticed uh, that our lobby looked a little bit different when you walked in and you had to maneuver maybe around some really awesome graphics um, and uh, some, some cool just panels that were out there. I'd love for you uh, on your way out, if you haven't, just take some time to read through that. Uh, if you're new here, maybe it's your first time, or you're like, um, I don't really know what I'm getting into. Uh, it's an ominous evening. I thought maybe the Lord was just calling me to church or something and I just showed up. Um, we're glad you're here. Uh, we'd love to get you involved in the church here. We're not just a college ministry, but rather we are part of a multi-generational body of believers. And what you see on those panels out there is what God has done in and through this church over the past 16 years. Uh, and you'll see stories of baptism, and you'll see stories of God sending uh, missionaries to unreached people groups. You'll see stories of college students coming to faith and sharing their faith and being compelled to be all in church members in various places. Um, and so uh, if you want to know more about that, like I'll make a pitch for this. I'm going to make it again at the end. Um, we're having an all-in vision night for we believe that where God is calling us to in this new season uh, of Redeemer and a new chapter for us. And we're doing that tomorrow night at 6. Uh, whether you're a member here or not, whether it's your first time or not, we would love for you to come and join us at six o'clock tomorrow to hear from our lead pastor, Dusty, just about uh, where we believe uh, God's calling us. And so you're invited to that, but, but on your way out, would love for you to uh, connect and, and just see those panels out there. And also um, on kind of a little bit away from that on a wall over here in this section, uh, there are just like some tags and it's people's prayers uh, of what they would love to see God do uh, in this cool season of going, hey, I want all my chips to the middle uh, on what God, I want God to do something crazy in my life. And I just want to see him save people and move in people and move in my heart and awaken things in me. And just be, I think, encouraging for you to read that even in this season of what maybe some of you guys are figuring out uh, what that is for you. Uh, maybe you need a refreshing uh, in what God is doing. And uh, maybe tonight you don't even know what the gospel is and, and, and you're just here. And, and maybe tonight's the night that God does something in you. And so, um, man, yeah, that's just my little pitch for that. And so check those things out. They're really well done. Um, and so uh, what you're walking into tonight is our second week in the What is God-like series. And so um, here's what we believe, that, that the most effective and most fruitful way um, for us to walk in joy and fulfillment that, that God offers us, um, the way to walk away from idols uh, that easily vie for our attention, that easily vie for our affection, um, is not simply to deal with symptoms of our problems, but rather to look to the root of those things and where our gaze is actually set. Uh, what we actually value and look. And so when we were planning this series six months ago, we were like, w our hope was to look to a series to say, what is God like and who is he? To lay before us a vision of a massive God. 
Because I think for a lot of us, when we talk about God, there's a lot of preconceived notions about the word God. Um, We have a lot of different traditions and views and raisings all in this room, good and bad and confused and mixed and all over the place. And and what we want to do is get to the word and what does the Bible ask uh, and and lay before us about the character of God. Now, now obviously, we're not going to cover um, the vast expanse of who God is in a five-week sermon. I mean, that's just, that's impossible for us to do, but, but our hope is that, listen, if this is a jumping off point for you um, to a life of pursuing a big God and not simply pursuing temporary fixes to, to temporary problems. Does that make sense? Like, because I think if, if you're like me, uh, I spend a lot of my time trying, trying to kind of fix the, the holes in the dam by putting um, just like uh, gum in them, right? And I was like, I got to put my thumb here and then, oh, there's another crack there. So I got to get over here and I'm trying to do this all the while. The, my world was just kind of cracking all around me. And I never really dealt with the foundation or what was really the problem um, until maybe it was almost too late for me. And so the hope is that we lay before us a big God. And so tonight, we're going to look at the holiness of God. Um, and I think there are a couple ways that we interact with that, that word holiness. One is that we don't interact with it at all. And maybe you didn't grow up in church, and, 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 and I'm super excited that you're here. Uh, maybe you don't have that story of just being a church kid or whatever, and, the, and you're just, church is all new to you, and you've got caricatures of it from, you know, sitcoms that you watched or whatever, and I'm, I'm glad you're here, and, and honestly, maybe that is the best starting point. <laughs> the best starting point is maybe just, I don't even know how to interact with holiness, I don't even know how to interact with the holy God, I'm just kind of here, uh, and my hope is that tonight maybe you would draw some conclusions from the Bible about what holiness is. Um, or, or maybe secondly, maybe you have a tendency to think holiness is just being good. Right? Just, you, you equate it to goodness. Just another term for being good. And, and maybe you think you grew up just thinking holiness was just about doing better. Like I've just got to be a better person. I've got to be a better version of myself. I've just got to do better. I've got to kind of, uh, you know, just, just kind of get my bootstraps up and just be a better person. And, and that's just kind of how you spent your whole life. And, and your motive around being good was either driven by a lot of guilt or driven by this really unhealthy fear. Um, and, and that's kind of the lane that I kind of grew up in um, and where I kind of had kind of exalted God to more of a Zeus-like figure in my life and kind of afraid and an unhealthy fear is gonna zap me with lightning bolts. Um, or maybe you grew up in a tradition and around things where you made things holy, right? Where, where things were holy. So, so you, had, you had, holiness was um, about the places and spaces and objects, and those were more holy, and you tended to downplay the actual things that the Bible called holy, like, like Jesus and the people of God, and the emphasis became around processes and not people, Right, so so maybe I covered it. Maybe you're somewhere in between all those. You know, I mean, we're not trying to fit people into all these three only, but maybe you kind of grew up in some of those tendencies, um, and, and maybe holiness is kind of just a misconstrued word. But here's the interesting thing about holiness: when we look at it from the Bible's point of view, is that holiness is the central marker, and it is the divider between God and man because of sin. Like when we look at the word holiness, the problem. is, 
is that all of those tendencies that we just talked about, they all start with us. And when we tend to approach the Bible, we so often approach the Bible and the scriptures or the Christian life thinking that we're the point, right? Like we're the end of the story or that we're, somehow the Bible is the roadmap to my life. And if I just, if I just find it somehow and I just look hard enough and I do some decoding, then I'm going to find out my, my, my path to life and my spouse is in there and my perfect job is in there and, and where I'm going to move and, and the millions that I'm going to make one day. And I just have to decode it from some book that I buy online at some Christian bookstore, right? And we're the, and we become the point, but the Bible talks very differently about God's holiness, And man's response to that is viewed in a completely different way. That God is not only perfectly good, but that his holiness is the source and standard of all that is good and right. In fact, the Bible says you're not the starting point. God is the starting point. That when we look to the scriptures... That we are not the starting point at all. We are not a point of the story. We are but a bit player in this canvas of creation. And when we try to start with us, we will inevitably end with us. And listen, that only leads to you and I thinking more and more that we are somehow the point of this. And do you see why you can't start with us? Because here's the thing. I've read that story in my own life. I've been the starting point. I've been the ending point. And that story doesn't end very well. Anybody relate? No. Great. I'm glad I'm the only one. Perfect. Okay. So let's get to this where we can see God's holiness from the right angle. So if you got your Bible, open to Isaiah 6. If you don't, it's going to be up on the screen tonight. We're in Isaiah 6. So we've got Isaiah. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. He's a bad dude, man. And bad dude, I mean, like, he's awesome. I love Isaiah. Um, There's other words I like to use for him, but he is cool, dude. I like Isaiah a lot. And Isaiah is um, in Israel in a time when Israel's running from God. um, And Israel doesn't want anything to do with God. They think they are the point of the story. Um, they, are, they are running to their happiness, to their fulfillment. They are running after their own idols and pursuing these things. And listen, this is the constant story of Israel in the Old Testament. Can anybody relate to Israel in the Old Testament? It's like you feel like you got it for like four and a half hours and then you just fall back into old sin. Anybody got that? Right? It's like, I'm doing well. Crap, right? Like, I feel like that's my story over and over again. And this is Israel's story throughout the Old, Old Testament. It's like they'll get it for like two and a half chapters and then they're back into their sin. And so Isaiah enters into the story and this is where we find him. Is Israel is in kind of one of these up and downward spirals and we see uh, Isaiah having this vision of what he is about to put before and kind of the ministry that he is about to have to the Israelite people. And, and here's a spoiler alert. If we're gonna get into Isaiah's ministry, it doesn't go very well for him often, right? Like, it's not like he follows God and everything is just roses and people are like, yes, I need to listen to that guy, right? Um, it, it's, it's not pretty, but look at the vision that he gets here. Uh, in verse one, uh, in, that, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. 
And above him stood the seraphim, and each had six wings. With two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one he called um, to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with the tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and whom shall go for me? And then I said, here am I, send me. So crazy vision of the throne room of heaven going on here. And so let's break down the scene to help us gain a little bit of perspective into God's holiness, because this can be kind of an intimidating verse if this is your first time reading Isaiah. I get it. All right. Um, it's like winged things and, you know, there's smoke and they're shaking and um, crazy, crazy perspective going on here. Um, but we have Uzziah, the king has died. Now, I want you to think, at any time in, in any country where there has been king and royalty and, and um, any diplomat that died, it kind of shakes the foundation of a society, okay? Even if it's 90-year-old Queen Elizabeth in Great Britain who just passed away a little bit ago, like the world kind of shut down to see her funeral, right? Um, we, we, we can go back to like when my dad was around and he can remember like when President Kennedy was assassinated. Like um, he can remember being in school and that happening and, and it kind of shaking the, the kind of uh, his, like, he can't even explain like what went on inside of him. He's like, it just kind of rattled him a little bit. And so here's what's going on. Like, like the country is rattled that their king has died. And what Isaiah sees is the Lord. And the word here that we see in Isaiah is Yahweh, Adonai, the sovereign one. And what the Lord is saying in this is like, yeah, it seems crazy it may seem up in the air, but the Holy One has got this. Like I saw the Lord seated upon the throne high and lifted up. Like, yeah, everything seems crazy around you, but this is how it starts. When everything around, like if, if we were the point of the story, we would be flipping out, burning everything to the ground, all right? I don't know what to do, right? Like this would be what was going on. But the Lord is seated on the throne, high and lifted up, his train is filling the entire throne room. He's going, I've got this. And the country is in shock. And when it seems crazy, God is saying to Isaiah, I got this. Now, at this time, if we were to think about this name, Yahweh, most holy one, okay? So scribes in the ancient day, when, and even today, when they are writing uh, the, the scriptures of the Old Testament, and the scribes are are transcribing those scriptures from the original language. Um, and they get to this most holy name, Yahweh. What happens is one of those scribes will announce it to the room of scribes that are writing. And he'll say, I'm, I'm about to, basically, this is me paraphrasing this, all right? I'm, I'm about to write the most holy name, right? And all those other scribes will put down their pens and they will stand up as the one scribe scribes, uh, 
writes the name of Yahweh. There is something holy about that name, set apart about that name, and we look at it in this scene, right? We see it going on in the scene. There are heavenly creatures singing, holy, holy, holy. That there is, when, when there's something repeated in the Bible, that matters. Like when you see things repeated in the Bible, your ears and your eyes should perk up to go, okay, what does that mean? When we see this three times, like there's something powerful about that. It is the most powerful repeating of three things. So holy, 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 that God is not simply righteous or simply good, but that at the core of holiness, he is separate from all. That when we see the beauty of what is going on in the throne room here and these crazy heavenly creatures, that can be super wild to read about are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Lord of hosts. The whole earth, literally they're saying, there's nothing more holy and more powerful, more set apart than you. And you are worthy of all praise. And this is what defines this kind of scene. And so I know that can get kind of ethereal and theoretical, but So what does this holiness mean then from translating here to what does that mean for us today? And so, listen, I ripped this definition straight from one of my favorite authors and pastors, John Piper, right? And John Piper says says this definition for holiness. He says this, he says, God's holiness is his infinite value as the absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person that he is and who by grace made himself accessible. Now, Seth's going to leave that up here because we want to break this thing down, that God's holiness is his infinite value. Then when we think about what is being said by these creatures, what Isaiah is seeing and what is going on in the throne room of heaven, and he's talking about the beauty of this infinite value, absolutely unique, morally perfect, permanent person has never not been and who made himself accessible through Jesus. Like this is what we talk about when we talk about God's holiness. That when we, um, Piper would say this, he's like, why is, why is gold the standard for our money, right? Like, like why is it not like, well, it's because it's unique, right? Well, I think there are fish that are unique in the bottom of the sea, Right? Like fish that we've never even classified or caught. Nobody's catching some fish six and a half miles down in the Marinetta Trench, right? Like, just, they're, but those fish aren't permanent, right? Like they're gonna die and they're gonna rot and they're gonna decay, right? There are rocks that are more unique than gold, like underneath our feet, but we're never getting to them because they're not accessible, right? Gold is like this unique thing within us that is both infinite value, it is unique, and, and it is accessible, right? This is the beauty of why we would look to God as holy because he's all of these things that are beautiful, that God is infinite in his value, that when we look to him, we see he is valuable above all things. And all those tendencies that we talked about at the beginning, Wherever you seem to fall and in between those things, whether, whether you don't do anything with his holiness or whether you're like me and you just try to be good or whether you've, you place objects and processes over the heart, whatever it may be for you, like all those tendencies that we try to put in his place, he's uniquely valuable over all those things. Then we see his value on display in the Bible. Like when God shows up, there are some awe-inspiring experiences that happen, Right? 
Like when we see in the Old Testament, like he shows up in this burning bush to Moses and he gives this command to go, to go really begin this exodus of his people out of slavery in Egypt and into this promised land, right? He comes in this burning bush and, and the bush is like on fire, but it's not being consumed. It's crazy. And, and Moses is like takes off his shoes because it's holy ground. And, and there's a voice coming from that. And Moses is like just floored by this. We see this like in plagues in, in, in Egypt going on. We see this in lightning and thunder coming from Mount Sinai that we talked about last week. We see this in the temple, right? Like there was this temple that was built and before like the presence of God dwelt on this ark and, and the priest could only go in to the most holy place once a year and they had to bring this atonement and this sacrifice once a year for the sins of the people and they had to go in a certain way and they had to go in pure in a certain way and they had to wear like this rope with a bell on it in case they dropped dead if they didn't go in that way, right? Like there was a holiness and a weightiness to the awe-inspiring God. Like in the proper response to that was not to stand with your arms crossed going, well, that was all right. But the proper response was worship and prostration before him. In the New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit descending at Pentecost. We see this, this gospel movement of men and women because the Holy Spirit now indwelled in people. They go, hey, man, I can't, you're going to beat me and you're going to put me in jail, but I can't help but share the gospel. Like, this is the beauty of God's awe-inspiring holiness that would come. Now, listen, let, let me stop there because... Because maybe you're here and, and, and you hear this fear of the Lord and it can be super crazy and even scary and even confusing if you've grown up in church or haven't grown up in church. You're like, dude, that plagues, burning bush, what the crud are we talking about, man? It was like a mythology class. I thought I was coming to church. Like what, what, what the Old Testament is trying to set up for is the reality of how holy and set apart God is and how serious our sin is, and how those things separate us. But listen, listen, it's why the next several points here are so critical for us to tune in on. So don't, don't tune me out after hearing that. Like, like, like stay engaged here, because, because the second part of this is that he is absolutely unique, that there is none like him. There's none like him. Then when we look to God, when we behold his character in the scriptures, when we open this thing up, we talked about his mercy last week. We're gonna talk about his justice next week. We're gonna talk about his forgiving nature and his righteousness. We're gonna talk about his love. Like we're gonna be able to display this like over the course of the semester, we're gonna see the beauty of his uniqueness. We don't see those through the lenses of anything we can know or comprehend through our finite mind. Like, I think so often I want to just try to put God into my 42 years of knowledge, right? Like, well, God should act this way because, well, I read a book once. I read this thing on Paul by some author that had like a PhD in his name. So God should act this way, right? Like, come on, man. Like, God, God is so absolutely unique beyond beyond anything I could ever imagine or ever comprehend, and yet his beauty is on display in his creation, and we see that, that he is unique in the best and most possible ways. And do you see the sunset? Do you see these things where he just displays himself in this beautiful way, that he is unique above all things, that he is morally perfect, 
Like, I want to hone in on this one for a second because this is good news. When we think about good, that word, like being a good person, like how do we often define what is good? Like how do we define the word good? How do we define the source of goodness? Like is it usually subjective to the person? Like if you were to ask somebody on campus, like, hey, how do you get to heaven or eternal life or whatever's next or, you know, the eternal cupcake table or whatever their eternal, eternal life after this is, right? Like what are they going to usually say? You know, be a good person. Well, who usually defines what good is? It's, it's usually me or culture, right? It's usually me or the subjective culture around me. And I just gotta be a good worker or I gotta have more responsibility. I gotta be a good husband, a good wife and we could go on and on, be a good student, blah, blah, blah. We can go on and on and on and that marker continues to move. And we talk about God being morally perfect. Here's the beauty of that. There is a target and a beautiful thing because he gets to set the standard for what is good and right and beautiful and it doesn't move. Like how comforting that is to our soul. Like how beautiful that is that our God doesn't change. We don't, have to, we don't have to try to figure it out behind some veil. He's laid that before us in the scriptures. And then lastly, he has made himself by grace accessible. That, that through his son Jesus, he has come. That God did not withhold himself or his character or his being behind some curtain, but in Jesus, he has come and made and offered a way to bridge that gap between that holiness and his separateness and my sin. Like he has bridged that gap, that gap that I would never cross by just simply being better. Like he bridged that gap by sending his son and offering away. The holiness that I could not earn is given to me because of faith in Jesus. His work on the cross, his victory in the resurrection, his trust that he's coming again, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit then to die to sin this side of heaven, to live to Jesus we are seen then by the Father, not through the lenses of our brokenness, but through the lenses of Christ's holiness. And the Holy One is saying, I got you. Like, that's beautiful. Like, this is how he's made himself accessible. I love what Jackie Hill Perry says. She says this. She says, if God is holy then he can't sin. If God can't sin, then he can't sin against me. If he can't sin against me, shouldn't that make him the most trustworthy being that there is? Like how beautiful that is. Why would I not put my trust and my hope and my faith in the perfect work that he has done here? to take my chips to the middle for all that he has done for me through Jesus. What am I withholding? And so why does this matter for us today? Because I think it matters for us a few, a few reasons. One is that it gives us freedom. 
And for the person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus, in the finished work of Jesus, that, listen, holiness is given to the Christian as part of the profession of faith, that you are made holy because of Christ, that you are shown mercy, and that you didn't have to earn and try to get holiness, but that God sees you as holy because of Christ. And because of that, listen, because of that, this side of heaven now, you get to strive to be like Christ. You get the freedom, you get the freedom to run from hypocrisy and despair. You get the freedom to walk in the joy that he offers before you that you don't have to hide anymore. That that gossip that, that you want to continue to hold on to, that you think validates who you are, the meaning that, that gives you meaning, that you don't have to hide behind that anymore, that pride that you want to cover up your insecurity with behind whatever facade of knowledge or arrogance that you've built up, like you're free from that. Like you're free to be who God has created you to be. You're free from this unhealthy view of the fear of the Lord. Your, your fear from being scared of him and, your, and your, you're free to walk in a sacred response to him. You're free to enjoy who he is. Like look at what Romans 12, one and two says for us. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Like, this is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformist, or will be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is perfect. Like, acceptable and perfect. Look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 1. Look at what it says here. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it's written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Like, here's the beauty of what God has called you to, believer. Like, if you've put your trust and faith in Jesus, like, this is who you are. Like, the sin that we so easily struggle with, Christ covers it. When God sees you, and you may have this, this side of heaven, man, we want to strive for Christ's likeness, but God sees you as holy because of Jesus. And it frees you to conduct yourself, to strive, to die to sin. You think, man, I'm never going to defeat that porn issue. I'm never going to defeat that lying issue. I'm never going to get over cheating. I'm never going to get over gossip. And he just said, in 1 Peter, you shall, be, you shall be holy. You shall be holy. Like he's given us that freedom and beauty to walk in this. And so as we land the plane tonight, listen, his holiness underpins all the narrative of scripture. That I am not the point that the entire creative order functions within the beauty of who he is. It functions within the beauty of a fixed moral order where good and evil, right and wrong, righteousness and holiness are not merely left 
to the whims of a culture that is constantly moving. It's not left to me to try to justify my own righteousness or try to earn it on my own. But God's holiness gives me answers and gives me hope. It's the greatest hope in the world through the work of Jesus that he offers me salvation, that both the present because of the indwelling Holy Spirit to die to sin and the inevitable return when he comes back and fully reconciles everything that we see back to himself. And listen, here's the proper response. Wherever you may be tonight, whether you walked in here, man, and it's been a great week and you feel like you're loving Jesus more than you ever have, or whether you're walking in here beaten, broken, hurting, it's been super hard, and you, or whether you don't even know where you're at. You just feel like you're just spinning, man. Wherever you may be, listen, God meets you in that place. And here's the proper response for all of us. Worship and gratitude. Worship and gratitude. Listen, the best thing that we can offer back to God is God. is this, we're gonna sing in response to a minute. Like we're gonna sing here and we're gonna sing about his holiness and we're gonna sing about his grace and we're gonna sing about these things that are true about who God is and not about who we are. And as we do that, here's what's gonna begin to happen. Like in, like you can begin to sense in your response to God, man, for some of you, the gospel and the good news is gonna go forth from this place. You can begin to share your faith because of what God's doing in you. For some of you, it's gonna be going to the back and you're gonna need to pray with somebody. And you're like, I don't even know where I am. I just need to pray with me. That's okay. You gotta have all the right words. We've got people who just love to pray. For some of you, it's just going to be raising your hands. For some of you, it's going to be singing for the first time. Wherever you may be, like, this is the place where we just, and we want to be free in who Jesus has called us to be. Because here's the thing. We're just, like, believer, you're just set apart. You're not better than. You've just been set apart because of Jesus. And so let's lift his name high tonight, and let's respond to who he is. Let's pray. Father, the beauty of your scriptures and the beauty of who you are, man, just the character of an almighty and holy God in just, God, as I've, I've been able to be in this for a little bit, it has been so encouraging and so challenging that so often I don't, God, that my tendency is just to make light of things. My tendency is to run past your holiness my tendency not to sit in the sacred. But God, tonight I just pray that as we, as we reflect on your goodness, as we reflect on your grace, we reflect on where we are, like in this moment that we just kind of block out the noise around. We'd block out where, where school has been or where classes have been or where relationships have been or where, where work has been, whatever may be going on, we'd be able to just block that out right now in this time and really hone into what you're asking. And so I just pray, God, that we would be able to respond in a way, God, that, that, that would honor you, would serve you, that would bring you the most glory and the most honor. And so, Lord, we love you, and we ask that, Father God, in the midst of this, Lord, that your, your grace and your mercy would be 
on display. And so we need you, Jesus. We need you. And we love you. Let's stand and let's respond to Jesus.